reminder to us of what he has done. Uh, Take your Bibles this morning and go with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. Some would say, greater love hath no pastor than this, that he would lay down his pulpit to another. And and yet I think about his pastors being kind enough to let us be here. Um, It is a it, to me, it's an honor uh, and a privilege, and I say that because um, how I got word of your pastor is that he is a, a one known for expositing the Scripture, unfolding the text of Scripture, really going to the Scripture and saying, what does it say? And he gives you that. Um, and I appreciate that, don't you? I mean, there's a lot of churches uh, around, even you think about this area, that would be um, preaching, I would say, preaching the Scripture in some way, but there's an element of of really drawing out of what does it say? I, I tell people I can make the Bible say anything I want it to say, but that's not as a, as a preacher, as a true biblical preacher, we need to say what does it say and, and give people that. And so that's our desire as we do this. And even as evangelists, um, in that sense, we want to we want to share the gospel. I, I think the real biblical evangelist is a gospel preacher, and yet challenging believers not just to to live worthy of the gospel, but also to give out the gospel, even equip them for that sake. Um, and yet, in many ways, it's played out in different areas. Sometimes I think of open-air preaching or church planting and missions and all kinds of stuff as well. And so we're thankful for how God has kind of directed our paths along your way this week. And, um, and so we're looking forward to what God continues to do. We, we're here this week. We kind of work our way from here, and then we'll work our way into near Atlanta. Um, and then we kind of start going west until eventually we're in Phoenix in just a handful of weeks. Um, and then eventually kind of work our way up even into Canada Edmonton, Calgary, stuff like that, and then come on back down. But we're working with churches, usually a week at a time with a church, and um, and really just challenging the believers and also calling lost people to come to him. And so I'm so thankful, again, for the team as these guys travel, um, because sometimes even the traveling, there's a weariness within travel, uh, if you can only imagine, uh, as you as you do this. I think sometimes we laugh because of the churches. People will look at us and say, man, I'm tired, and it's the end of the week, you know, as we've minister there and we're thinking <laughs> so are we you know and we we start again next week you know and so uh thanks thank you again for letting us be with you and we look forward to what the scripture has for us even today what the lord has for us matthew chapter 12 verse 38 through 42 will be the main text this morning so we look at this passage of scripture you have jesus and the pharisees and the scribes are really having a conversation, and I would call it far more than a conversation, but let's look at this together. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 38 says this, then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered saying, master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the Whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for who you are and your kindness to us. I pray that today you would use your word to challenge our hearts. Lord, as we know, within a church, not everyone who goes to church or who even is a member of a church is necessarily a believer. 
So, God, I pray for anyone today who is without Christ, that you would open up their eyes, as we've sung before, the song and the truths of the scripture, that you would warm their hearts, that you would draw them to yourself, that they would respond to the gospel through genuine repentance and faith in Christ and Christ alone. Lord, thank you so much for that saving grace. Lord, I don't just thank you for that. I thank you for the sanctifying grace. Lord, I think of as believers, you stir our hearts, and so often we as believers can can err and stray or even step into sin or fall into sin or even even jump into sin. Lord, I know that genuine believers, that is not our, our true heart's desire. But God, it's amazing how you can call us back to yourself. And I pray that even today, if there's somebody in this room, knowing full well as a believer that they are living in some form of sin in their life that they know of, God, that they would humble them, their hearts today before you. They would truly confess and forsake sin. I also pray, Father, that as we think of living worthy of the gospel, that you would equip us to better give out the gospel. Lord, I don't know who all will hear this. I don't know who all will hear this in the future. Um, but I do pray that you would take this and you would use this for your glory and for our good. Thank you, God, for who you are. Please empower me today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. If I say the, the date April 15th, what comes to your mind? Taxes. Man, you guys are downers. No, I'm just <laughs> No, I think that's probably true when you think of April 15th. Most people, Americans, think tax day, you know. But I will say is on that day in history, a little over 100 years ago, there was something that happened that you could say rocked our world. I mean, it really did cause a, sh a shock wave across the culture, and it was the sinking of the Titanic. When you think about that, it was actually uh, in the year 1912. It was April the 14th, late in the evening, some almost almost around midnight, it was 11.39 p.m., and that this, this passenger cruise liner, the largest one, um, the most glorious one of the day, hit an iceberg at 11.39. It took two hours and 40 minutes before it sunk completely. Interesting as it went down, it was early morning hours on April the 15th, and it killed right around 1,500 people. Most of us know this. Notice this is not a shocker to us. You might not know the specific details, but it's like there's so many movies and there's so many things about the Titanic. You can look at documentaries, conspiracy theories, all kinds of things about the Titanic, but it is an interesting story. And actually, the ship was an amazing ship in that day. And that ship was almost 900 feet long. I mean, think about that. You exclude end zones, you know, almost like a three football field. I mean, this is pretty significant in its length. Um, actually, it was, it was about 92, or I would just say this, right around 100 feet wide. And then from the base of the ship to the top of the stacks, it went up 175 feet in the air. This is a, an amazing floating city. Um, it weighed 52,000 tons, and on its maiden voyage, it carried 2,224 people. That's a lot of people. Now, when I think about that, there were, it was a beautiful ship. You start kind of doing a little bit of study on the ship, and you start realizing how beautiful it was. I mean, it had a swimming pool on board. Interesting, no one really, no one really uh, facial changes or anything like that, because I think we think of our modern day. I mean, consider the modern day cruise ships, you know, with wave pools and, you know, and, and water slides, lazy rivers, you know, you've got, you've got, you know, zip lines and, you know, climbing walls and, and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. But back in that day, it had a swimming pool on board. That was a big deal. I had a even had a dining saloon that you could go to, four elevators on board, and, um, and you could actually 
get a parlor suite. If you got one of the parlor suites, um, it would cost you $4,350. Now, some of you are like, whoa, you know, some of you are like, eh, chump change, Jeremy, you know, no big deal. But I would suggest to you that in that day, it was $4,350. Actually, if you got it in our modern day, it would be closer to $120,000 for a parlor suite. Okay, so now we're going, oh, okay, that's a little bit different, okay? Um, when you think of it that way, too, some even said, hey, that this ship was so large that God himself couldn't even sink the ship. Now, when you go throughout history and you try to figure out who said that, you, you kind of come up with a struggle, okay? But the, it really was the mentality, though. Everyone, I mean, you saw that massive ship. How in the world could it ever go down? And that was the mentality. And I would say you better be careful what you say, too, when it comes to things like that. And then I would also remind you that the ship didn't have to go down that day. Actually, it received at least six warnings that day. The last warning came, and the radio operator replied back. He said, shut up, shut up, I'm working. You could say this, just as the Titanic had warnings, so we too have clear warnings from God. God in his Mercy warns mankind of judgment to come. That is his mercy. We, we deserve his punishment. We've all broken his laws. And yet for God to warn us, I mean, again, that does show mercy. You know this. If your neighbor's house caught fire and, and you saw people moving around real slowly inside, but you saw the back of the house on fire, I, I do think you would, you would probably run over to the door and bang on their door and and, and then they come to the door and you, you yell, get out, get out, your house is on fire. I, I, you know, they might say, why are you yelling? No, no, your house is on fire, get out. And the truth is if they made their way on out and then the house is consumed, what would they do? And here they would hug you and embrace you and say, thank you, you saved my life. The truth is we begin to consider this and this passage of scripture at first glance looks like Jesus is kind of being a little bit I don't know, maybe he woke up on the wrong side of the bed or something. You know what I mean? Maybe he just had a rough Sunday morning, you know? And so sure enough, here's, here's this, this, this response by Jesus. But I want you to look at it even closer because I want to see this. Notice verse 38. It says, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Now, if you're taking any kind of notes, I make it real simple. So here we go. Ready? Number one. This is actually a confrontation that begins with a sinful request. This is a confrontation. This is not a legitimate question. Like Jesus, I mean, if you are who you say you are as Messiah, I mean, we, we want to know that. We want to have some kind of proof. I mean, do you want to follow a random person who says, oh, I think I'm Messiah, you know, come follow me. You know, I don't want to do that. I mean, I, I want to know there's some truth behind this. I want to see some evidence in one sense. And in many ways, that's not a, a wrong question to ask. And actually, God in his kindness, if you think historically, that's what he does. He often does that. I mean, people sometimes say, well, what about the person, you know, on the, you know, in the deepest, darkest place, you know, in a hut or something like that. And, um, you know, would God send them to hell if they die without Messiah? And I would say, well, actually, yes. Because they do have a, they do have general revelation. I mean, general general revelation means you can look around and you can see creation clearly and know there's a creator. And if that heart is is actually responding to it, because historically this has happened, 
where people realize there is a God, and I want to know who he is. And there's an element where, again, I think this is God at work. But the truth is, is they start really praying to say, God, we don't know who you are, but will you reveal yourself to us? Will you show yourself? And God does. He shows, brings missionaries. I've, I've been in, uh, in Hawaii, uh, on the big island of Hawaii. I don't know if you've ever been there. But there's really, at one point, historically, the largest church in the world, evangelical, was on the big island of Hawaii. I mean, it's crazy because because way back in the day, you had this king, Kamehameha, who's just brute of a you know man, and, and yet a conquering king because he really he really unified the islands through conquering and slaughtering. But as he did that, at some point, with all the pagan worship and idolatry and even human sacrifice, there was a point in time where finally they were saying, this can't be the way. There's got to be a better way. And with no Bible... Here's one who has a dream. And in his dream, someone would tell them the answer. And he told people the dream. I had this dream. These people are going to come. They're going to land here on the island, and they're going to tell us the answer. And within a couple of months, guess who lands there? Missionaries with the gospel. And all these people started responding to the gospel to the point of the very queen, even at some point, defying Pele, the goddess of fire, as she overlooks the the volcano and throwing things into it and saying, I defy you in the name of Jesus Christ. If you're really the one true God, you then you kill me now, but I defy you in the name of Christ because he's the one true God. So many came to Christ. Actually, if you went to the big island today, though, you probably wouldn't know that unless you went and looked at history books. As I say all this, I, I tell you that God in his mercy can bring signs and can show and do things. Now in our modern day, we have the completed revelation. There's an element, this is so much more powerful than any kind of sign you could see or some kind of a ghost, you know, at midnight, you know, on New Year's or on, on Christmas Eve or something like that, you know. But we look at this passage and we say, okay, so then what does he mean by this? I mean, here they are asking for a sign, but I want you to back up with me. Go to chapter 11 for a minute so you can see this is really a confrontation Again, they're asking for proof. We want proof. Show us a sign. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 2 says this. Now when John, this is John the Baptist. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which he do hear and see the blind receive their sight and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Hmm. Let's think about that for a minute. This is interesting because this is John the Baptist. I don't know if you've ever struggled in your faith and it seems as though that's what's going on here now maybe you would say well i don't know jeremy i think it's just his, his disciples that are struggling and so john wants to point them but the problem is even with this in this you have you have messiah who is there and the normal mentality would be what that he would set up his kingdom and rule and reign and now here's john the baptist in prison like is it really supposed to be this way so maybe there's seemingly a struggle. And, hey, can you go? I mean, I, he's, he saw Jesus. He baptized Jesus. Remember, he's the one who even said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, you know? I mean, and then, he, then he's baptizing him, and then he hears a voice from heaven, and this like dove-like figure come and reside in Christ, you know, like everything. So, so, again, he's experienced some of this, but he just seems as 
seemingly be struggling. And I kind of go, man, thank you, in one sense, because, because we struggle sometimes, don't we? But you look at all this, and clearly he's doing all these miracles. Verse 5, again, blind receiving their sight, lame walking, lepers cleansed, deaf hear, dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached. I mean, that's clearly Messiah. But even go further, because in that same chapter, look at verse 20. Notice this, it says, Then began he to abrade the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. So there's a lot of mighty works he's doing. Why? Because they repented not. They were unwilling to turn from their sin to the one true God, to fully trust in Christ alone. Verse 21, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, I mean, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell, the idea of Hades. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, remember Sodom and Gomorrah, it would have remained until this day, but I say unto you that it shall, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. I mean, he is calling them out harshly in many ways. Why? Because they are seeing firsthand the mighty works of God consistently. That's, again, the children of Israel walking through the, you know, the midst of the Red Sea on dry land. You know what I'm saying? As they make their way, you know, and then to go, I don't know if he can provide or I don't know if he can do it. And then they're watching daily provision with manna and going, I don't know, you know. If, and that, that's where it just makes it so much more in your face of unbelief. And so the nature of this is all of these mighty works were being done, but they weren't responding to that. You can go to chapter 12. Or notice chapter 12 and look at verse 9. It says, and when he departed thence, he went into their synagogue, their place of worship, community, and this would be the Jewish synagogue, verse 10. And behold, there was a man which had uh, his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days? Why would they ask him that? Look at the next phrase. That they might accuse him. The whole point is the trick Messiah. And I say, good luck. <laughs> like that. It's going to go real well, you know. I've seen that he's creator God in human flesh. I mean, he made the mind. I mean, he made, like how in the world could you ever trick him? It never works out, does it? That's what makes him so mad. They can never get one up on Jesus because every time they try to trick him, you know, and think they know the scriptures better, it's like, you know, he, Jesus is the scripture. He's the word of God. You know, that's, that's like, you're like, what? So you're watching these people, and they're, they're doing this to accuse him. That's the whole point. I mean, so is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days? Verse 11, and he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold of it and lift it out? And actually, everyone in their mindset would have answered that question in their mind. They would have said, well, of course we would. How much then is a man better than a sheep? I mean, wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Then he said to the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like the other. Now, you can imagine this kind of confrontation. They're trying to trick Jesus. I mean, they made their own 
man-made Sabbath rules, you know, so here they go, and, and, and you know, with this, and, you know, hey, Jesus, is it lawful to heal on a Sabbath? And the whole point is, again, this is not a legitimate question of Sabbath rules. Jesus responds by rebuking the teaching of God, which is tied to us in the Spirit, again, and says, we preach the Sabbath, we preach the Sabbath, it's true, we've got to hear the Sabbath, you know, it's biblical. does this, again, it seems like most people were excited. Look at verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him. They got together on purpose, and they gathered together to hold a council against him. And what does it say in verse 14? How they might destroy him. How can we get rid of Jesus? How can we kill him? We want him dead. That's where they're thinking. That's their mindset. So at this point, they're seeing miracles. I mean, right in front of their eyes, they see this. And they're, they're discounting it. Look at verse 15. And when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence. And great multitudes followed him. And what did he do to the great multitudes? And he healed them all. I mean, Jesus is such a miracle worker of miracle workers that's making it so clear for anybody to see and um, acknowledge who he is. You go further and go to chapter 12, because in chapter 12, you read this, um, verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil. He had, he had a demon in him. He was blind and dumb. That means he didn't speak. He couldn't talk. And he healed him, insomuch as the blind and the dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed. They said, is not this the son of David? That is actually, an, that's a reference to Messiah. This has got to be Messiah. Clearly, this is Messiah. Could this be? Is not this the son of David? Verse 24, though, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, well, this fellow doth cast out devils by, the, by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. I mean, he does this through satanic power. I mean, this, this is no Messiah. Jesus, even knowing their thoughts, verse 25, I love this, said, hey, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. I mean, if Satan casts out Satan, I mean, he is divided against himself. I mean, how shall then his kingdom stand? I mean, that makes no sense in your own logic. And then he says in verse 27, and if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, you know, then by whom do your children cast them out? I mean, therefore, they shall be your judges. God casts out devils by the Spirit of God, or if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. 
clearly Jesus is who he says he is. So this is what's interesting. Verse 38, where our text is, for them to say, Master, show us a sign. Are you catching how sarcastic this is? It's, like, it's almost like, hey, Rabbi, you got good teaching. Show us a, a sign. And everything about this is, is evil. It's sinful. I call it not just a, a sinful request. I even call it a stupid request because when you think about how stupid this is, consider who Jesus is. I mean, hey, if you're Messiah, give us proof. And here's Jesus. He heals the sick. He makes the blind see. He walks on water. He can calm storms with his own voice. He casts out demons. I mean, he feeds 5,000, you know, with, with five loaves and two fish. And actually, if you include women and tr- children, we're talking fifteen to 20,000 with five loaves and two fish. And then he raises people from the dead. And you want proof. So they didn't need proof, did they? They actually needed to humble their heart. They needed to respond to the truth of Scripture in genuine repentance and faith. And that is the message of Jesus, isn't it? He tells all people to repent and to believe the gospel. We know this. I mean, Scripture even tells us that God is not slack or slow concerning his promise. As some people would count slowness, but he's he's long-suffering. He's patient. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. Because really, when you have the word repentance, it's not... Just a change of mind that leads to a change of, that's just like a change of mind. It goes beyond that. It's a change of mind that leads to a whole change of direction. It's the idea of a person knowing how sick they are. They need a physician. Jesus kind of taught it that way. Where you're like, man, I'm so, I mean, when you're kind of sick, you really go to the doctor. Or maybe you're not even sick. You go to the doctor and you're like, hey, I just kind of thought about giving some exercise. That's right. I'll see how you're doing. We don't do that. And if you're a male in the room, you probably really don't. You know, you're like, you really are like, you know, you, you almost have to be totally dead almost. You're like, okay, I got to go. You know, I got to go visit. As you think about this, it shows that when a person is genuinely really sick, they turn to the doctor. And the, the truth is if the heart is genuinely going to repent or is going to trust in Christ fully, you can't, have, you can't have salvation without repentance, can you? I mean, and, and the scripture would even teach us that God grants them the gift of repentance. And so we know it's not a work that you do, but a person who says something like this, hey, I don't want to go to hell, but I'm not ready to give Jesus my life. What would we say to, what would we say to a person like that? I, I would tell them the truth. I'd say, well, then you're not ready. You don't say, I'm kind of, you know, maybe I'll kind of try Jesus, you know, maybe get rid of some sins, but I'm kind of holding on to these. No, that's not, that's not repentance. That's not genuine faith in Christ. So anyone who's truly going to trust in Christ completely for their eternal salvation, as the truth is there's no way apart from genuine repentance in a heart. So you see this going on with Jesus, and, 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 we, and we see this here. I would also suggest to you, too, I think the normal thought is if we did see some kind of physical proof. But didn't Jesus teach this in Luke 16? The rich man and Lazarus. I mean, the story goes on there. What? The rich man's so wealthy, he can kind of buy anything he wants to buy. Here's Lazarus, a beggar of the day, who has to be fed, actually carried and placed at the gate where the rich man's food and stuff like this table scraps would be thrown out in that sense. And so, he, and he's destitute, and sure enough, the scripture Jesus tells us they, they die. And then what happens after death? And that's right away, Jesus tells you there's life after death, that means. 
I mean, in his teaching there, it's like here is here is the the poor man, Lazarus, who enters into the, into the presence of God. He's next to Abraham's side. I mean, that's crazy. And then you've got you've got the rich man who dies in Luke 16, 23, and in hell he lifts up his eyes and he's in torments. And yet, what does he ask for? I think the first thing is really relief. Please. I mean, just let Lazarus dip the tip of his finger in some water and touch my tongue. I'm in torments. That doesn't work that way. Wherever you go when you die, you go there for all eternity. You don't go from one to the other. There's no such thing as purgatory. Jesus never taught about that. I always tell people, hey, do a Bible search. You know, why don't you take the word purgatory and see if you can find it? Because it's not there. So what's crazy is that, here. okay, so he can't get relief. He's there. Well, then send Lazarus back from the dead or someone to go warn my brothers. I don't want them going here. And what's the response? They have Moses and the prophets. They, they really have the Old Testament, and that's all they had. If they don't hear that, they won't, they won't hear someone coming back from the dead. Interesting, because we think, well, yeah, they would. Except for Jesus raised the literal Lazarus from the dead, and what do they want? They want him dead again. And then Jesus rose from the dead, and they wanted him dead again. The whole point is, it's not the necessary idea of, I need proof. Um, I think in our culture, in our modern day, if you want the answer to the gospel, it's probably two clicks away on your smartphone. There really is no excuse. It just shows the heartbeat of mankind who doesn't naturally pursue God. He goes away and goes astray, and, and that's, just, that's just who we are. But yet God, he uses us and he uses the gospel to, to, to open and enlighten the eyes and the heart and to raise people from the dead spiritually. So when you look at this here again, they're asking for proof. And again, this is, this is a sinful request. But Jesus, he, he doesn't kind of go, oh, okay. No, he responds with a scathing rebuke. Now this is number two. Now, and to the last point too. When you think about the scathing rebuke, it's, he, he responds to the woman at the well so much different from these people. I mean, even to, to Nicodemus, who, who goes by night, and he even, he's legitimately saying, we know you're a teacher from God, because who can do miracles like this? No one does miracles like this. So there's an element where it's different, but these are hardened people who have already rejected, who want to kill him already. They know truth, but they don't want that. They don't want Jesus. <clears throat> so Jesus responds harshly to them. Verse 39, he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it. Well, except this. It's the sign of the prophet Jonah. That's the one he's and he tells you, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Actually, he's pointing them to look at Jonah, which, interesting, verse 40, connects you to the resurrection. Now, can I tell you, it's not a wise thing to go through the Old Testament and just try to kind of figure out, you know, like be really creative in all your ways and going, hey, look how everything connects. The best thing is to see the connection where Jesus makes it clear as a connection, okay? So that's kind of the safe thing to do. And to look at the scripture where it makes the clear connection. Uh, because you can kind of make some weird things there. I've heard people preach really wacko messages. And like even on Jonah, you know, you got to throw your Jonah out of the boat. You know, and I'm thinking, do you, have you read Jonah? Do you know what it's about? You know, and you're like, oh, it's just interesting. You can make, your preaching can sound really cool, you know. But 
That's not the picture. Okay, so anyway. Um, Jonah? Do you remember the story of Jonah? It, it is a true story. Jesus refers to it as true. Okay, so if you go, well, I don't know if it's true, Jeremy. Do you really believe it's true? I'd say, yeah, I do believe it's true because Jesus connected it as being true. Okay, so here's Jonah, and he points you to Jonah, the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jonah is a prophet, and God told him to go to Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you to preach. And instead of going about 500 miles, you know, northeast, he goes southwest. And I don't mean the airline. And he goes down and, and he gets on a boat. He even pays the fare, you know. Everything seems to be kind of going his way. I mean, sometimes when you live in sin, it's like you, you might even think, oh, well, God's not judging me ever. Maybe God's going to look at me and say, you know, I mean, he's giving me the money for even a journey. And now I've got the money for even a fare, you know, and all that stuff. And he pays the fare, gets on the road. tried everything else till finally they do throw him overboard and then he goes down I and mean, if you read it you're watching him going down 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 to the point where now all of a sudden here's god sends a big fish we call it a whale it's translated here as whale but actually the real translation is a big fish but it, it swallows him now do this for me in in flattery can you swallow for a second okay here we go do, do, do your own swallow can you do that okay that's jonah going down And you're going, oh, oh, like, I mean, the, oh, the body being crunched and smushed and slimed. And, and there he is in the belly of this massive fish. Now, how much room did he have? 
and it was really like sitting up there, you know, and you know, he didn't have a fire, you know, he couldn't do, you know, but like with like there was it just a big enough pocket for his him to breathe. Some even suggest this that maybe he really did die, and actually God raised him from the dead at some point within this. I mean, and the truth is, Scripture doesn't really tell us, but he's there, and then sure enough, he does. He, he does cry out to God in, in, in Jonah chapter 2. In the very end, he finally says this in his prayer. He says, I will repay, I will pay my vows, for salvation is of the Lord. I mean, and then at that point, God says, okay, he's ready, and tells the fish to spit him out, and to spit him out on dry land. Now, I want you to imagine that one. How does he get to the dry land from being spit out? This is called projectile vomiting, and I would suggest don't do that right now, okay? But you understand, but it's like, whoa. That's crazy. And then he gets up, and you can imagine the stench. I mean, he, he had in his clothing. You, you, I mean, why are you going to get the stomach acid out? I mean, is his, is, his, is his skin all the way bleached? Does he even have hair left? I mean, everything about this would be awful. And now God says the second time, go to Nineveh and preach the message I tell you. And guess what he does? <laughs> yes, sir. Okay, I'm going. You know, he, He's not resisting anymore. And I don't think he probably ever went near a big body of water ever again in his life. You know, he's so scared. But he makes his way to Nineveh, and the message seems to be so short, seemingly almost six to eight words in the Hebrew. Basically, it's like you got like 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It will be destroyed. He does this for seemingly three days. And then he goes and, you know, gets sits above the city. He's waiting for God to judge the city. So we know the story in that sense. And what did God do? God, in his mercy, which is so amazing, because have you ever heard someone say, don't you know the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament? And I'm thinking, do you ever read your Bible? Because think about this. Who did God, I mean, these, these people, the Ninevites, were known as pagan, so pagan. They were known for their violence. They literally would come in and conquer a nation. They would slaughter them, severing heads, impaling people, sometimes impaling them and lighting their bodies on fire in the city streets. They would come in with large knives to pregnant women and hack them open, ripping, killing the child, killing the woman. They would fillet the bodies, taking the skins and throwing them up over their city walls, hanging them. The, the idea is this, you mess with us, this is what we're going to do to you. I mean, it's like, like they were known for their violence out of anyone who deserves, we think, punishment. Those people. And with such little revelation, they didn't have a whole Bible. They had a really short message from a prophet. But Scripture tells us they believed God. They proclaim the fast. They begin to humble their hearts and just say, God, please, we, we just throw us up at your mercy. And God in his mercy sends a revival. I would even suggest to you this may be the greatest revival of all time historically in a short amount of time. That's crazy what God did. And you look at this and go, here are the, here's Jonah. I mean, and what a picture. Verse 40, as it talks about how three days and three nights, and can I, can I also encourage you with this? Because when they would use that phraseology, it meant really any part of a day. I mean, the, the truth is, when you think about that, if you're not careful, you're going, okay, three days and three nights. Okay, Sunday morning. Okay, 24 hours. And, and wait a second here. And was it, was it Friday? No, it was Thursday. No, it was Wednesday. No, it's Friday. No, and now all of a sudden, a huge fight breaks out in church, you know. And um, no. 
Okay, the truth is, is their days are different from ours. Remember, at sundown begins their, their next day. Um, and then you begin to consider this. If I were to tell you, hey, um, I, you know, we were in Miami and we went to the beach for a day, let's say. What does that mean? Does that mean 24 hours? It could mean that. Does it mean we just went for the afternoon and we just said, hey, went for the day? You know? Or does it mean we actually went for the, when the, when daylight opened up, we were there? You know what I'm saying? All the way till it went down. You see what I'm saying? And this is the nature of even scripturally how they would speak. So the idea is this is connecting you to the resurrection because this is the only sign you'll get. You'll get the greatest sign in human history, and it's the resurrection of the death of Jesus Christ. He comes back to life. He's actually seen on at least 10 occasions, one occasion by over 500 people at the same time. And when you look at this, you're saying, here's the people of Nineveh, and they repented with such little revelation. In one sense, I think he's saying, look at Jonah. Jonah points to Jesus in the resurrection. Number two, learn from the Ninevites. They repented with very little revelation. Let me ask the question again. How much revelation do you have? How many, how many Bibles do you own? And you might say, well, I don't own one. Well, you can download it in just a couple seconds. If you really want it, it's there. And then you look even further and you see how with a little revelation they respond. Verse 41, and then he says, they respond to the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. He moves on to verse 42. The, the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Now, wait a second. Who's the queen of the south? Her name is what? The queen of? Sheba, okay, so we call her the Queen of Sheba, and she made her way, it's like, almost like Yemen, you know, this, that point where she would have been, and she's making her way there, a long journey, notice what it says, she'll condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Now, could you imagine this journey? Now, it's not like your journey, okay, because I know what some of you are thinking, some of you are like, This woman's journey would have probably taken months. Not only that, she could die in this journey. See, some of you, when you drove here today, you're like, whoa, it's cold outside. So what did you do? You kind of adjusted your seat, and then all of a sudden you went ahead and turned on the heat. You know, and then, like we got it real tough. You know what I mean? But here's this, here's this woman, this long journey. She makes way that she could die in the journey, and yet she gets there to hear the very wisdom of Solomon. And again, she hears how wise he is. There's no one like him in all the earth. And every question she asks him, he gives her an amazing Now, again, that would be like you as a young, new, brand-new business owner get to talk to someone who's, who's started thousands of businesses. I mean, you'd be going, oh, wow, okay, okay, yeah, okay, you know. And yet to think what she's asking, like how, how do you do commerce within your nation? How do you help your people in the sense of prosper? How do you protect your nation and people? And she's writing, it's like she's writing all this down. And then at what point does she say, what is that structure over there? That amazing structure. And he says, it's called the temple. Let me tell you about the God we serve. Let me tell you about all the sacrifices that we do but guess what? There will be a once-for-all sacrifice in the future. How could she rise up in the judgment if she doesn't become a true believer? 
you're looking at a, at a woman who, who hears the truth and responds to it. She goes to great lengths to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And then I sit there and I go, well, at what lengths do you go to hear one greater than Solomon? Like how much effort do you put forth in your personal life, spiritual life, to pursue Messiah? Well, I'm kind of busy. You know, can't quite find time. I uh, hope things kind of slow down a little bit. It, it, interesting, do you know that you do everything you want to do? Like if you really want to do, you do it? Like could you imagine going, man, it's been so busy. I haven't eaten in three, three weeks. I've just been so busy. No, like as one of my kids said to the other when they were little, if you don't eat, you will die. You know what I mean? And that's so true. You eat because it's important. And you, you could say to your boss, you know, hey, I would have been here the last three days of work, but I couldn't because I was so busy. And he would say what? Don't worry. You got plenty more time because you're fired. You, you see what I'm saying? But because it's important, you do it. But here's something. If you're not careful, you can, you can glance over this. What, what, who is Jesus? I mean, as you consider Jesus as Messiah, we see in verse 40, uh, verse, verse 41, the very end of that, what does it say? It says, a greater, he says, behold, he wants their attention. Behold, a greater than Jonah is here, the greatest prophet of prophets who will warn you of judgment, who will call you to turn from your sin to Messiah. That great prophet is right here in front of you. There's no greater prophet than Jesus. Actually, even in this, you see the very end of verse 42. A greater, behold, he says again, a greater than Solomon is here. There's no greater king than King Jesus. He is king of kings and lord of lords. Actually, at the very end, I mean, if Philippians 2 tells us every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is lord. And I'll do this to the very glory of God the Father. I mean, everything about this. And actually, you can back up even in the same chapter and see in verse 6 of chapter 12. He says this that in this place is one greater than the temple. The greatest person of worship, Jesus. The perfect go-between between us and God. The perfect sacrifice, the once-for-all sacrifice. This is Christ. The question is, at what lengths do you go to pursue Christ? And I think, honestly, when I kind of read about the Queen of Sheba there, I'm like, just rebuke lazy we can be, how sinful, selfish. But you look at all of this, and he's saying this to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees know this. The, 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 the scribes, they know this. And so really, in conclusion, it just requires a serious response. I mean, this is a scathing rebuke from Jesus because of, this, because of their sinful request. But this response is what? I mean, it's really, he's calling sinners to repent. Now, do you realize that you're a sinner. I mean, I think everyone gets that one. Okay, that's not a hard one, you know. Um, I tell people, you clearly Scripture teaches you're born sinful. You know, do, do you struggle with that? If you do, then you probably have never had children. Because once you have children, right away you'll go, man, the kids are cute little pagans, but they're but they're born sinners. You know what I mean? You don't have to teach them how to sin, do you? Like, oh, let me teach you how to sin. Okay, let, mom's going to come in here, and she's going to ask you if you clean your room, and you, you just look at her in the face and go, no, you know, yes, I clean my room. Oh, yeah, yeah, you'll practice lying. Okay, let's practice. Okay, here she comes. No, you don't have to do any of that. Interesting. 
Um, or maybe if you don't believe you're a sinner, born sinners, maybe you've never worked in a church nursery with a long-winded preacher. And um, you'll go, kids are born bad. <laughs> and then as we get older, guess what we do? We, we break God's laws. We just, we sin because we're sinners. Because we're sinners, we sin. It's an endless cycle. And sin is not funny to God. He's holy. The nature of our sin, the scripture is clear that our the payment for that sin is death. It's eternal separation. We can't get to heaven. Heaven is perfect and pure. God's there. That's who God is and holy. And yet if we were to get there, heaven would no longer be perfect and pure because we'd be there. That's We need our sins taken away. This is why Jesus came. His, 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 his life his, points to then his death. And he even told you about this. And he's paying for sin. He who knew no sin would become sin for us. It's not because of Jesus' sin. It's our sin. And yet in the midst of this, it's not just he's dying on the cross, but he's buried and he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death and hell. Anyone who would turn from their sin to Messiah could be rescued, but not everyone does. And if God is working in your heart, that means that is a miracle of God at work in your heart. You need to respond to him. You need to re repent. The sinner who truly comes to Christ must reject the world's wisdom for God's wisdom because the world screams something totally different, doesn't it? And you must reject the world's wisdom for God's. You must repent of your sins. Turn completely to Messiah, to Christ alone, because there is no other way. And by faith, you trust in him. You look to Jesus. Has this happened to you? Because if it has, guess what happens? The sinner is then made a saint. But the opposite is the self-righteous. See, the self-righteous reject God's wisdom for the world. Now, nah, you really believe that Bible stuff? Nah, come on. And instead of repenting, they cover their sins. If there's no true repentance, it's a way of covering over. It's like turn over a new leaf. I mean, hey, the new year, you know, let's try harder. Let's go to Planet Fitness. You know what I mean? It's like they're trying to think of anything to kind of better themselves from the past, but it doesn't fix the sin problem. So they're covering their own sins. And if you seek to cover them, you won't prosper. Scripture is very, very clear in that. And yet that's the nature of this. And then instead of looking by faith to Christ, they look to self. I'm pretty good. And if they die in that condition, the self-righteous will clearly show themselves to be sinners condemned eternally by God. Not because God didn't love them, but if you reject the love of God, you then in the end will receive the wrath of God. You know the name Erwin Lutzer? Uh, it's a good name to know. Uh, Lutzer has written some really good stuff. He was a pastor. Erwin um, Lutzer said this. He said, when I became the pastor of the Moody Church in 1980, I knew one of the church rooms was named Harper Hall in memory of a Scottish evangelist who was on a journey to the Moody Church, but he drowned when the Titanic sank in April of 1912. So, again, this is kind of crazy. He's going, oh, he, he, he sees this, this room, and, oh, it's named Harper Hall. Why, why is that name Harper? Oh, John Harper. Oh, that Scottish evangelist. Oh, yeah, he, he, he's preached here way in the day, you know, and he was on his journey to come preach again. Actually, interesting, uh, in 1912, uh, 
here's, here's what Lutzer said about this. He said, he said, only recently, however, did I learn the full story of this remarkable man. Harper's reputation as an evangelist was so well known that he, has, he was invited to speak at the Moody Church in 1910. Uh, Lutzer says, I have in my own possession a photocopy of a letter in his own handwriting, which reads, I have been in Chicago for three months. God gave us a very precious and wonderful revival of continuous services each day and sometimes even more often. I don't know if you caught that. It wasn't, it wasn't three days, it, it was three months of daily preaching, sometimes more than once a day. Now, I'm not asking for that, Pastor. I'm just telling you, that's kind of crazy stuff, isn't it? And so he's coming back. The whole journey was for the purpose of making his way back to the Moody Church for another, actually, for another three months of meetings. So it was as John Harper and his sister and his six-year-old daughter found themselves on this great ship, the Titanic. Now, wait a second. He had his sister with him and a six-year-old. Where's his wife? She had previously died. So here he is with his sister, with his six-year-old daughter. They're on the Titanic. Survivors later reported that as the Titanic began to sink, Harper admonished people to be prepared to die. He made sure his sister and daughter were in a lifeboat, even as he continued to share the gospel with whoever would listen. And then when he found himself in the icy water with a life jacket floating near another man, Harper asked, are you saved? And the man desperately replies back. He says, no, I am not saved. And he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. One report says Harper, knowing that he could not survive long in the icy water, he took off his life jacket, threw it to another person with the words, you need this more than I do. And then moments later, Harper disappeared beneath the water. He, he dies. Don't forget, absent from the body means present with the Lord. It took about four years before there was a reunion of the survivors. Now, you could imagine even how, how oh, how tough that would be. But four years later, there's a reunion of the, of the survivors, and there's a man who, to whom Harper had witnessed. He told the story of his rescue, and he gave a testimony of his own conversion. It's recorded in a gospel tract. And it's called this, I was John Harper's last convert. Here's a man and is knowing he's going to die, but knowing where he's going. And he's warning other people at his kindness and love. He's, he's calling, do you, are you saved? Well, then, then respond to the message of the gospel. As you consider this, Jesus in his love was doing this consistently. Matthew 11, the same chapter, verse 28 says, come to me, he says to the crowd. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's the gospel call? Come to me. Come to me. Can I tell you something? Far more important than your next meal in just a moment would be your eternal destination. If you're here today and you're not sure, please respond to the gospel. You can cry out to Jesus. You don't have to wait till later. Respond in repentance and faith before him. He'll save you according to scripture. Would you do that if you've not done that? May God help you. Let's pray. Father, today we have been reminded of the kindness and the mercy of Jesus that warns mankind of judgment to come. And I pray, dear God, if there's anyone in this room without Christ, 
that right now in their heart before you, they would respond in obedience to your gospel call. They would repent. They would turn completely to Messiah. They would, by faith, trust in you. Your word does teach us, Lord, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but it doesn't just mean we just call out your name. You've taught us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if we would confess with our mouth, literally, Jesus is Lord, that the Lord Jesus, we're truly repenting. We believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We shall be saved. Anyone who's willing to respond in genuine faith in Christ alone could be saved. So God, I pray that even right now that you would stir hearts for anyone who's not done that. That they, right now, they would cry out to you. But then I pray, God, for true believers. That you would stir us, God. So often we grow so apathetic in our relationship with you, our walk with you. I think about all these people we, we see daily and know that are without Christ. Lord, would you use us, even this week, even today, as we come across others without Jesus, that you would stir our hearts, that you would give us wisdom and how to just approach it. I just pray that you would, you would bless that. Lord, even our feeble attempts. God, you would use us to point people to Christ. Lord, our life would back up the message that we would pursue you as the greatest king and prophet, priest, with perfect sacrifice. God, thank you for who you are. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, I'm going to turn over to Pastor here. And, and um, if you need to talk to someone, please, I'm going to make my way to the back, even there too. And uh, I know Pastor's up front, but if you want to talk to someone, he's going to close us out today. But please.